Discover FX's Shogun, the official podcast available now. Every legend begins with a story. Listen and explore episode by episode the story of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan. Join host Emily Yoshida each week with the creators, cast, and crew in this exclusive companion podcast. They dive deep into the twists and turns of the plot, go behind the scenes, and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. Tax season is approaching, bringing potential extra cash your way. Rather than spending it all on an expensive deal filled with yada yada from your current wireless plan, consider switching to Metro by T-Mobile for no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada you don't take yada yada in life don't take yada yada from your wireless provider metro by t-mobile has no contracts no credit checks no surprises and nada yada yada stop by one of over six thousand metro stores nationwide this episode of Stuff They Don't Want You To Know is brought to you by Alienware. During Dell Tech Fest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech. New dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop powered by an Intel Core i9 processor. Featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential. Plus, build your dream setup with great deals on select game Gaming monitors, mice, and more must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop online at Alienware.com deals, you'll have access to leading-edge gaming technology to conquer the competition and free shipping on everything. Amazing prices await you for a limited time only at Alienware.com deals. That's Alienware.com deals. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours. And all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Alexis, codenamed Doc Holiday Jackson. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. It is the top of the week, which means it's time for more strange news. And, you know, I've been thinking... At some point, we're we're going to we're we're going to start experimenting with this uh, with this format. Uh, Matt, a while back, you and I just started listing headlines that didn't make it onto the show at the very end, and mm-hmm. uh, and peek behind the curtain. You know, while we're getting rolling and preparing for strange news, uh, we go through a lot of stuff and we discuss. You know, like cool stories. Is this newsworthy? How do we we try to find some variety? Uh, today, we've got what may be a case of sabotage, what may be the uh, financial future of a nation state. And, uh, and then we've got Mars. That's true. <laughs> a guy got swallowed by a whale this week. And we're also talking about Mars. It's pretty eventful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. We, oh, yeah, we kind of had to like do a little like, hey, we should, which one should should we go with? And I think we ended up with a pretty good crop, fellas. Um, speaking of crop, should we start with the, the, the fruit story? Mm, oh, yes. Sure. Yes. Okay, why not? Fruit in space. Space. space, space fruit space, in space space, 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 space. Yeah, so the New York Times... <laughs> recently reported about a week ago um, that uh, they published an article claiming that uh, watermelons had been found on Mars, like fields and fields of watermelons. Uh, Here's the quote from the article by Joe Schmo, S-C-H-M-O-E, saying a uh, fields of watermelons found on Mars, police say? (laughs) Okay. Uh, Authorities say rise of fruit aliens is to blame for glut of outer space watermelons. 
and then it concludes with the line saying, um, the FBI declined to comment on reports of watermelons raining down, but confirmed that kiwis have been intercepted. The story is terribly boring. Watermelon tastes good, police say. What the hell is happening? (laughs) I feel like I'm tripping right now. Yeah, it's a weird one, guys. So essentially what happened is the New York Times, like, I guess it must have been a a test or some kind of like lorem ipsum, you know, the, the lazy brown dog jumps over the picket fence kind of thing to test layout. Right. Right. Like, um, cause there's actually an archived version of it that I found on, um, what's it called here? It is called, yeah, it's literally just called like archive, uh, dot is. And it's like laid out with, you know, measurements on each side, uh, like you would, you know, see maybe a template for a web page or, you know, a print publication. Um, and the New York Times, uh, very quickly withdrew the article, which is why it now, you know, has to live on an archive page and, uh, printed, uh, some form of retraction. I've got to find that retraction here real quick. There's quite a few articles about it. And the most substantial article I was able to find uh, that I didn't have to pay or register for was on the Indian Express. Um, the rise of fruit aliens. New York Times retracts article claiming watermelons were found on Mars. Netizens react with memes, of course. Um, so I guess the thing that's interesting about this, you guys, is that We've been seeing a lot of interesting space news lately, like uh, that very much pertains to things that could that maybe once were completely unbelievable, but now are possibly more entering the realm of believability, like a lot of this disclosure stuff, a lot of these um, declassified videos that we've seen through the uh, to the Stars Academy and all of that. So I could see how initially a headline like this would be like, yeah, okay, uh, maybe maybe we missed this because when I first heard it, I I was. I was on board for a second. I was like, what? Cool. Are they underground or something? Like, how come we haven't seen these before? Um, But yeah, apparently what happened was, according to a spokesperson for the New York Times, um, this is what they said. I'll just give them the the quote. Uh, Earlier today, a mock article intended for a testing system was published on our site in error. The article has since been removed. Uh, Of course, it has been, you know, archived in multiple places and and Google cached it. So the memes uh, abounded. Um, The uh, there's now a link to uh, another page that reads this article was published in error. Uh, It's kind of, you know, egg on the face, I would say, of, of the New York Times, who have certainly had a rough go of it uh, over the past administrations, constantly being, you know, maligned in the fake news, New York Times or the failing New York Times or whatever. So probably not the best PR uh, move for them, but um, it's pretty funny. And uh, of course, there's a lot, you know, when this initially came out, there were a lot of conspiracy theory discussions taking place on Twitter. Watermelon and Mars began to trend all over Twitter and and other social media platforms. And um, there were, you know, tweets like, question, what if the NYT watermelon story is their pre-write of the forthcoming UFO report? Um, Because I I think you guys know, oftentimes, um, big journalistic uh, organizations like that will pre-write obituaries for celebrities, say, for example, that are like, you know, maybe getting a little long in the tooth and they might also cash or pre-write um, something based on a source that they have or, or who knows. Uh, let's see if there are a couple other ones. Um, we've got one saying going to assume that the agents of the watermelons on Mars got in touch and let them know they weren't dead yet. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. We've got, if any, if anything, I thought it'd be musk melons. <laughs> Nice. You know why that's funny? It's so funny. I'd I'd never heard of a muskmelon. And the other day I was at uh, this very popular international grocery store here in Atlanta called Beaufort Highway Farmer's Market. And I saw a big like carton of muskmelon juice. And then seeing it in print, I realized that if you remove the M from melon and flip it around, you've got yourself Elon Musk right there. Um, Whoa. I don't know if that's a. Wow. That's a thing. It's. It's a thing that exists. Uh, We've got watermelon tastes so good, police say. Looks like the NYT need the weekend as badly as me. (laughs) Um, Then we've got, is it bad? I wanted to read that story. No, no, it's not. Um, The Mars rover can have one space watermelon as a treat. Just a treat. That's from Drew Alvarez. Uh, And then finally, we've got one from John Christian. 
saying, well, you know, what's happening in the New York Times. Uh, the National Farmers Union even chimed in with, we aren't aware of any space watermelons, but we'll double check. Um, so that, you know, it's a goofy story, but it's a good example of what happens when our uh, super instant gratification news, you know, sources get something mega wrong uh, in, in the most elaborately hilarious way possible. So, yeah, I don't know. Well, well, OK, for a, a couple of things. The Perseverance mission that's happening right now on Mars with the rover, I, right. I think that has a lot to do with this seeming maybe plausible in mm -hmm. that first moment, even as strangely written as the article was. Because do you guys remember not long ago, there were some images released from the Perseverance right. mission yep. that were mistaken for fungus mm -hmm. by a lot of online reporting. And, mm -hmm. you know, it made the it made the rounds like crazy. So then... You know, I can imagine that this silly article, even as a test article, was maybe written in jest for <laughs> just like as an inside joke for some people. Right. Mm -hmm. And then it gets published. Uh, so that's one thing I just I imagine like that's why the lay person reader may mistake it for being real. The second thing is that it, it just reminds us. It reminds me mm -hmm. how important every little thing is that gets published by an, an outlet like the New York Times or the oh, Washington shit. Post or yeah. the BBC or, you know, the, the Guardian, anyone. Any small thing that gets published there is taken as fact. Sure. Mm -hmm. And and rightly should be because that's what those institutions are meant to do. It, it just, I don't know, if that if, I think this this snafu kind of speaks speaks directly to that. I'll tell you, man, the uh, one thing that I think a lot of reporting about this story is ignoring is the work ethic of whomever is going by the moniker Joe Schmo? Because they could have just Lauren Ipsumed the whole thing, but instead they they created this narrative with fruit aliens. It's pretty it's pretty compelling stuff. And I was thinking the same thing you were, Matt. This is not occurring in a vacuum. Obviously, people are primed for news about Mars, <laughs> and this reminds me too. A long time ago, uh, earlier in the show, we talked about one of the problems with searching for life on other planets, which goes down to the um, methodology of the instruments used to detect stuff. Like they vaporize things as a way of testing for life. And so a lot of people, especially in the more conspiratorial forums, are already certain that there has been something discovered, that that's why there's so much international attention on sending something to Mars. So if mm -hmm. you're already primed that way, and you already know there have been so many like false starts or misreporting of uh, misreporting of mundane events, then you would think logically that there is going to be some weird stuff found on Mars. Now, why Joe decided to pick watermelons, uh, we're not going to know unless that person comes forward. But look, editors of New York Times, uh, shareholders, board members, what have you, decision makers. Find out who this is and give them a raise because they are awesome. <laughs> yes, they, they, they are. But also the thing kind of falls apart a little bit. It's like they kind of gave up around the end, you know, where it's just sort of like police say watermelon tastes good. You know, it's like <laughs> he just like he started in or they started in with like, you know, a pretty snappy piece of like onion worthy uh, uh, sort of joke journalism and then sort of lost steam there near the end a little bit. But um, my the, bet the, is it, that it was done in minutes a few minutes sure. absolutely that yeah. whole no. thing was just blasted out somebody clocked away 100 percent. and i agree and i agree with you ben it does speak to the uh um well the, the work ethic and the quality of uh the talent at the new york times if you're just gonna bash off what's ultimately a pretty funny little joke as you know literally a test when you could have just you know copied and pasted some garbage nonsense text in there um but there was some other good, I, I'd highly recommend folks, you know, look for themselves at the memory around this. But there was a few saying, you know, talking about kind of historical New York Times things they do or say, oh, I was bummed that it wasn't a full length article with like interactive visuals. You know, a lot of times New York Times have like interactive infographics and things like that. Um, let's see. There was one more really fun one. 
Oh, of course, there was a Charlie Day gif uh, saying, giving rise to the Martian watermelon truthers. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a nice War of the Worlds kind of meme where it's like the three-legged kind of like snaky walker things, only it's a giant watermelon at the top. Um, and then... Yep, here's the one from Tony Hotran. Honestly, a bit disappointed it's not a 10,000-word feature complete with interactive visuals. That would have been taking the test of the next level, fellas. There you go. Ben, I can't get this image out of my head of Perseverance and I think it was Opportunity and all these other rovers on Mars where, you, like you said, they vaporize material to test for life. Mm-hmm. I'm imagining a, you know, an extraterrestrial species that is like seven to one scale for humans are like huge, like huge compared to humans. And they build a machine that is, you know, in scale in their scale. And then it somehow makes its way to earth. It's un it's unmanned or aliened, however you want to put that. And then it, it just scoops up some soil in a part of a house and just vaporizes it to test it. And like, <laughs> oh, there was some organic material in there. All right. Well, <laughs> well, that's the that's one of the big concerns, right? Because you, you can have a you can have a pretty good idea of what you might encounter, right? And you can have a wish list of stuff you would want to encounter. But it's important to note that the scientists who are conducting this research are very cautious about getting anybody's hopes up or being misquoted because they know they'll inevitably be misquoted. Uh, they. they in their mind, the best thing to do is to not necessarily look for life, but to look for components that would be indicative of a past possibility of life or maybe a future possibility of life. And other, you know, once you get past that point, they may feel like they're getting a little too science fictiony. But I, I did want to add on one last note for anybody who's disappointed that there are actually no watermelons on Mars. If you want space fruit, You can try it here on Earth. Space Fruit is the name of the fruit-centric Dippin' Dots series available at a tourist tourist trap. Can I say tourist trap? At a tourist uh, venue near you. So it's not quite Mars, but you can can get a taste of Space Fruit. That's amazing. I want that. (laughs) I wonder what it tastes like. Like cosmic, uh, I don't know, cosmic dust. Perhaps it seems like it would be dangerous. I wouldn't want to eat something that was grown on an alien planet in completely unknown, you know, conditions. Right? Seems no. like it could, could yeah. kill you dead. Also, you know, watermelons. Like you'd think there would be like some other like indigenous fruit to Mars, uh, unless maybe previous expeditions had planted seeds that had only just now started to sprout because of the way time moves in space. Um, just a theory. Just a theory. But um, yeah, I don't know, guys. Anything else? I think we could probably move on. Uh, just a shout out to one of the, it's, I think he's the user interface developer or one of the user interface developers there at NASA. His name is Parker Abercrombie. Wow, what a name. Mm-hmm. It's a great name. Just shout out to you, Parker. All his clothes right. are monogrammed. You can just tell. <laughs> or he also so. can just wear Abercrombie and Fitch clothes and it'll, you know, look like it's monogrammed or Good like point. it's everything's got his name on it. Um, all right. We're going to take a quick break for a sponsor and then be back with more strange news. Join Metro. They help you stay ahead of the game with nada, yada, yada. That means no contracts, no credit checks and no surprises. Outsmarting yada, yada means, uh, you know. Taxis and stuff. Shady subscriptions. Did you guys ever order something online and you thought it was just like a one-time purchase, but then you found yourself subscribed? Yeah, I had to call and stop payment on something because I had subscribed to it through Apple Pay. And even though I had like put a new card on there, it still was tied to whatever card was associated with my Apple Pay. So I had to like go through this whole process of getting it pulled. It was really, really annoying. Well, that'll never happen with Metro by T-Mobile because you don't take yada yada in life and you're not going to take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada helping you stay ahead without compromising on things you love the most. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough 
introspection that I learned something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Before I found Zigazoo, I believed all social media was inappropriate for kids. But I feel great about my kids being on Zigazoo. Videos are moderated by actual people before being added to the feed. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about mean comments on your kids' videos. And you need parental consent before joining Zigazoo. Bottom line, it's a space that prioritizes data safety for kids. Oh, but don't take my word for it. Zigazoo is KidSafe COPPA certified. So weigh everything Zigazoo has to offer. Maybe you'll zigzag too. Zigazoo, a social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&Ms, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. And we have returned. Uh, before I take us to Central America, where our second story takes place, I would like to make a public service announcement for all our fellow conspiracy realists who are not yet aware of this. Leonard Nimoy is known <laughs> no. as an actor, right? Famously playing Spock. Mm -hmm. on on the Star Trek franchise, Uh, but he is also a musician. He doesn't get enough credit, and I I know there's a question on a lot of people's minds right now. (laughs) What is the album Two Sides of Leonard Nimoy about? Well, let's dispel the myths right here. It's not necessarily about him being (laughs) Spock, but it is a continuation of his earlier album, Spock and Space, which is his debut album. Okay, so now I think we've cleared that up. Right, everybody. Everybody can breathe a little bit easier. Tensions were running high. I was discussing this in the middle of the earth, in the land of the Shire. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a weird weekend. Uh, Yes, you can't stop it, Bilbo. (laughs) Bilbo Baggins. (laughs) Yes, king of the wild frontier. It's close, though. It is close sonically. Uh, So do check that out. It does verge into levels of Shatner-esque Rocket Man greatness. But while you are checking that out, and while you are feverishly downloading the album on your platform of choice, uh, journey with us to something completely unrelated, as far as I know, which is El Salvador. So previously, we reported on some, some pretty horrific things in El Salvador. And I realized that this country, being a relatively small place, doesn't get a lot of news coverage. So I didn't want to leave us all with this um, this skewed negative view of El Salvador, especially for anybody who's never been there. Uh, so I'd like to, to explore this one. El Salvador may be one of, the, one of the vanguards, one of the heralds of a new age in currency. As we record, El Salvador is set to become the world's first nation to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender. This could be big. This could be weird. But initially, just off that headline, what do you guys think? What are your, what are your thoughts? I mean, good, good for holders of Bitcoin? <laughs> well, yeah. I, sort of. I mean, it's so weird, the whole scene. 
with the crypto thing. Like a word from Elon Musk can like tank mm-hmm. it in a day. You know, it's it's a little bit sketchy. And uh, news like this, you know, what's the deal with the government of El Salvador? Isn't it considered somewhat uh, uh, corrupt? Or isn't there isn't that an issue? Well, uh, yes, that is correct. Uh, depending on, especially if you listen to the political opponents. But then the more cynical of us in the audience could easily argue that every government is to a degree corrupt, Uh, even the really, really squeaky clean ones like Singapore. But in this case... Is that a joke? What? Was that a joke? Well, uh, yeah. Well, no, kind of. Uh, (laughs) It depends on what kind of corruption we're talking about. Are you talking about a country where it's like accepted to bribe police, that's a standard operating procedure, or are we talking about uh, a country like the U.S. where private contractors make billions of dollars a year based entirely on nepotism and it's their really, relationship with politicians? It's totally, corp. No, it, it's, it's totally a good point, Ben. I mean, there's there, every there, corruption has comes in many shapes and flavors, and I guess when I think of the types of corruption that exists in maybe some South American countries like that, I think it's a little more off the books, greasing palms, people trying to enrich themselves by making backroom deals. But then you're right. When I say that out loud, how is that any different than just the more official version of it that happens here in the United States? It's really not. So uh, point taken, Ben, point taken. Well, may I just jump back to you? You asked that question earlier, Ben, and I'm Mm -hmm. sorry, I've been thinking about it. Um, Like, what do we actually think about all of this. My initial thought was, how do you get enough El Salvadorians or like just the citizens of El Salvador to adopt Bitcoin to make this, I don't know, worthy of a major announcement, worthy of a major push to incorporate Bitcoin along with, you know, US dollars as their legal tender? Like, how how do you do that? And it seems as though what you're going to tell us here is that there's a partnership of some kind that's happening beyond just announcing that, hey, we're going to accept Bitcoin now as legal tender? Yeah, that's that's a good question. And you're spot on. The U.S. dollar is legal tender in El Salvador. And for people who are supporting this plan, uh, a huge factor in their logic is uh, the commission fees on remittances abroad. So these, if someone is sending money from a different country to El Salvador, you know, just wiring it down, then those commissions on just moving the money around can cover like 20% of the principal cost. So with this, with a decentralized currency, the idea would be for the average person that you can maybe cut down on some of those fees. And then, you know, like you said, Noel, for the people who are more like altcoin enthusiasts, they're very interested in the technological aspects of it. Uh, This is a great science experiment. Now, will it work out? Goes back to how you feel about the government, because yes, El Salvador has had a lot of criticism uh, for the current administration. And then also, this is completely, this is completely new territory. It's kind of surprising that El Salvador would be the first country to step into the future here. And the question is, are they going to be in an advantageous position or are they going to be more like guinea pigs at this point? I guess that what I was getting at, though, is some of the criticism behind adoption of Bitcoin or, or cryptocurrencies in general is that it's so easy to use for like money laundering. It's so easy to use for illegal activities. And I, that's, I think, what I was asking. And I'm sorry if, if it's a, uh, a silly question, but I think I just wonder if is that the impetus behind this? If there is corruption in the government to accept it as legal tender to l- muddy the waters of currency so that it'll be easier to perpetrate hmm. these types of uh, frauds and felonies? Yeah, I mean, that's valid for sure. Uh, there is a big piece of this conversation that, that we have to give some air to, which is uh, El Salvador like many other uh, poorer countries, has at times run into tensions with the world's monetary system as it stands now, most particularly the IMF, International Monetary Fund. And Bitcoin could be seen as a way to escape the policies of the IMF because they're using a different currency. Just a few days before we recorded this, uh, I believe over the weekend, the Bitcoin community itself spoke out and they may be planning to loan El Salvador $1 billion worth of Bitcoin 
to help them fully adopt this as a legal tender. And they did this in response to the IMF, who said, we've got some concerns. This will be a banking nightmare. So what we may see happening is a confrontation in Central America between the old financial guard, you know, the, the Black Monday murders types, and then the new, you know, a tech literati. Techerati? There's a word mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. And I'm really interested to see how this works out. And I would be astonished if world leaders and economists are not also paying attention because one of the ways that you enforce sovereignty and hegemony is through having people use your money. That's why yeah. the U.S. is that's why the U.S. is so into being a reserve currency, and that's why uh, France instigated the fall of Muammar Gaddafi because they wanted to control the African franc or keep control mm. of it. No, this is really interesting to me, Ben. This is the first time I'm hearing about this. Thank you for bringing this to our attention. I had no idea that El Salvador had. They are working with this company Strike or this an app called strike with through a different company. But when they introduced this um, and launched mobile payments in El Salvador, like specifically according to CNBC strike became the most downloaded app in the country. Yes. So there's definitely an appetite for it in, within the city, you know, amongst the citizens. Um, and did you, did you mention the 70% number? We did not lay it on us. According to to CNBC, 70% roughly of El El Salvadorian citizens uh, do not have bank accounts and they operate in cash-only transactions. I can totally imagine that having, you know, a a Bitcoin account on your phone could, in a lot of ways, seem more secure. And if you could, you know, just perform daily transactions through your phone with your Bitcoin, then I can imagine that being... A, a big deal and people would actually enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. Because you wouldn't have to go through some of the hassles of that you encounter with physical currency. Right. So if you are getting money wired in and you live in El Salvador, then as we said, then you might get hit with a ton of fees, like 10% or more. Mm-hmm. Uh, these transfers can take days to arrive. And then sometimes you have to go there in person to physically pick up the cash. And just to set the stage a little bit further with statistics, one really important part of the conversation here is just how much of El Salvador's GDP is remittances. So people travel to other countries, they work, they send money back to their families and their loved ones. That that alone is 20% of El Salvador's gross domestic product. Uh, wow. Fascinating. There's a couple of other interesting little side stories connected to this. Like for one, um, since 2019, this one particular area in El Salvador called El Zante mm-hmm. um, has been using Bitcoin as legal tender. It's referred to Bitcoin Beach, referred to as Bitcoin Beach. Uh, and it was a program that was going to kind of like almost pilot the idea of using Bitcoin as legal tender. They referred to it as a mission to build a, quote, a sustainable Bitcoin economic ecosystem on the coast of El Salvador. Uh, there's more than 50 different vendors that accept it there, everything from hotels to restaurants to surf instructor camps um, to, let's see, uh, fruit stands, hardware stores, anything you can think of pretty much. Um, And I think my favorite little side story is the current president of El Salvador, who's only 39 years old. His name is, um, forgive me for butchering his pronunciation, Nayib Bukele, I believe. Um, He is kind of behind this, and he has done this thing where he is uh, creating this idea of uh, mining sustainably and cheaply mining Bitcoin. As we know, it uses lots of electricity uh, and causes lots of, you know, uh, controversy in terms of the um, sustainability of it and the effects on the environment. He wants to use geothermal energy generated from volcanoes in El Salvador to create 100% clean, this was his words, not mine, 100% renewable, zero emissions energy uh, to mine Bitcoin with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is, you know, it's an interesting idea, but we'll see how how close it comes to being reality. 
there's there's something else that has a lot of people worried and I'd love to hear I'd love to hear what the Bitcoin enthusiasts in the crowd today think about this. What happens when Bitcoin reaches its limit? So when we talk about cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin is, you know, the gold standard by which I mean it's the it's the coin that most people are going to be most familiar with. Uh, we're also talking about possibilities for risk. Like the U.S. dollar has predictability because it's a reserve currency, because everybody around the world decided to agree with little or no backing that those coupons counted for specific values. What happens if Bitcoin uh, skyrockets in value? What happens if it plummets in value? What will you know the average person in El Salvador do? How will it affect them? Those are really serious questions that I think bear some research. This is definitely jumping into uh, the deep water without putting your toe in first, aside from the village mentioned earlier. Well, and we know it does do that thing, Ben. Like, uh, I mean, it, it, it does. It can skyrocket. Everyone gets really excited and it can absolutely plummet with just a, a, like a word from, say, Elon Musk on Saturday Night Live, you know, um, and the confidence in it uh, is a lot harder to measure, I would say, than maybe the stock market. But it, it's it's a fascinating development, I would say, and, and very meaningful. And I think potentially a political sort of middle finger to the United States. Well, uh, that that could be seen as part of it, um, but it's definitely, I would say if it's a middle finger to someone, it's less the U.S. because the U.S. dollar will still be used and accepted. It's more a middle finger to those international banking institutions, which are themselves, you know, enormously controversial. Uh, you'll hear critics, for instance, say that the IMF is an instrument of resource extraction or an instrument of financial enslavement. Again, those are not our statements. Those are from the opponents of these outfits. So to the opponents of these institutions, the argument is something like they're putting people, putting entire countries in debt bondage, and then they're using that as a tool of leverage to influence the policies that get written, the direction of the government, and perhaps most importantly, how the government interacts with international private corporations. That's that's where you get into the deep water. So maybe El Salvador is able to break what some see as global financial chains, but then also El Salvador may be putting itself in a profound risk for instability. Uh, that's that's where the story stands now, and you'll have a lot of people on either side of the argument, but we would like to hear from you if you've been to El Salvador, if you've traveled around Central America, if you live in El Salvador, what are people saying about this on the ground? Do people believe that this is a conspiracy of sorts? I'm sure they do. Uh, I'd just love to hear some firsthand reporting of it. So hit us up, as always, 1-833-STD-WYTK, conspiracy at iheartmedia.com. Uh, we're going to pause for a word from our sponsors. We'll be back with one more piece of Strange News. Join Metro. They help you stay ahead of the game with nada, yada, yada. That means no contracts, no credit checks, and no surprises. Outsmarting yada, yada means, uh, you know, Taxis and stuff. Shady subscriptions. Did you guys ever order something online and you thought it was just like a one-time purchase, but then you found yourself subscribed? Yeah, I had to call and stop payment on something because I had subscribed to it through Apple Pay. And even though I had like put a new card on there, it still was tied to whatever card was associated with my Apple Pay. So I had to like go through this whole process of getting it pulled. It was really, really annoying. Well, that'll never happen with Metro by T-Mobile because you don't take yada yada in life and you're not going to take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada, helping you stay ahead without compromising on things you love the most. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billy's vocals. It was automatic art. You know, I had to, like, choose a more challenging route than just, like, da-da-da-da. You know what I'm saying? Like, it could have been, like, easier. And a lot of people have asked me, like, 
how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation vlogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness. Kick back and spread some positivity into the world. From smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports, on stages, and at the box office, women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to Women Take the Mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs, and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. Okay, and we're back. You know, I am not smart enough to fully understand this, but I'm trying to imagine how you walk into a convenience store with your Bitcoin app and you pay two six hundredths for a <laughs> for a Coke and a bag of chips or something. I don't it's know. all Just, like based on exchange rates, <laughs> the way it would be in any kind of other currency swap situation, I would imagine. Like if you're if you're going on exchanges, you can exchange one type of coin for another. So like there are these literally, you know, just exchanges where you put in one dollar fifty and then it converts to Bitcoin. And that's like, you know, point zero, 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 one Bitcoin. Yeah. So do it's it on just PayPal. all these little calculations. You absolutely can do it on PayPal. And I don't know if you guys have noticed, have you ever seen in gas stations even they've got these mm-hmm. Bitcoin ATMs? Uh, apparently the fees on those are exorbitant. I really don't understand the functionality of them. I've never seen anyone use them um but it's an interesting thing for sure oh yeah oh yeah well i'm gonna look more into it because right now i'm just confused oh matt uh, can i mm-hmm. can i set can i set you up this yeah. story? i'm super into this okay so for some reason i was on a breaking bad rabbit hole i get into rabbit holes all the time uh this one happened to be breaking bad because it's an amazing story with phenomenal writing and acting and I was watching the train episode. If you've seen Breaking Bad, you know the one I'm talking about. You remember that? Yeah, I, yeah, I remember. No, give me one more detail. It's, it's a heist. Yes, of course. Yes, of course. With the, the, <laughs> the, the liquid, the stuff. They're trying to get the, the precursor. Yeah. Whatever, right. Yeah, yeah. This is. Uh, and then the little kid on the bike. Oh, oh yeah. That's a crusher, Isn't that part crusher. of the train? It, Maybe it, it is. No, no okay. that's at the, yeah, it's that's a big at the part. very end of the episode. Uh, and Todd, the guy who looks kind of like the Matt Damon, is it shows it shows the dark side of his character. But anyway, I was really excited to learn about this story you chose, Matt, because I'm on this I'm on a train kick right now. There you go. Um, but what's what's going on? Is there is there something crooked afoot? Well, it's a this yes. There's something crooked uh, rail. Uh, um, <laughs> it, so. <laughs> This story comes to comes to us from December of last year, December 2020, but it's an update. That's why we're going to talk about it now. Last week, there's an update uh, that we're going to talk about. So on December 22nd, 2020, this is what you need to know. A train derailed in North Washington, like Washington State. 
north of Seattle. And the problem is that it was carrying oil, like crude oil. And it caught on fire. It was a big explosion. Uh, it was a big deal for this small town where it exploded, the actual place where the train derailed and it exploded, called Custer, Washington. And the reason why we're talking about this story today is because the FBI, Federal Railroad Administration, and the National Transportation Safety Board are all still looking at this derailment and trying to figure out exactly what happened. But there's some new information that came out stating that the only way that this train derailed, the only reason this could possibly happen is through sabotage. And the reason why it's important to us and to you is because anytime the United States railway system is under attack of any kind or is at, is being threatened in any way, it threatens the entire system. It is impossible to overstate how important the railway system is to the United States and to commerce in this country and internationally even. It is very, very important that we, we, the United States, the FBI, all of these different, you know, organizations keep the railways safe. Um, because if something did happen, it could be as simple as one or two people walking across some tracks that are just open, making two or three small changes on a rail car and then leaving and then causing almost a million dollars worth of damage and causing massive explosions. Okay, that's a huge run-up to this, but let's talk about the details, guys. So this is a BNSF train that was derailed. BNSF has a really interesting history. It's uh, two different rail companies that kind of melded into one thing, the Burlington Northern Inc., and I think it's the Santa Fe Pacific Corporation. Uh, They went together. They control a ton of the railways in this country, along with just a handful of other large companies that control the railways. And generally, like 99% of the time, at least according to BNSF, there's nothing like this that occurs. Those trains are running all the time taking things across the country, including crude oil, including most of the stuff you buy on Amazon and eBay and all these other places. They get on rail cars, they go, and everything's fine. Everybody gets what they need. In this case, the rail cars were carrying something very different. We said crude oil, but a specific type of crude oil. It's called Bakken oil. So let's just take a minute and talk about Bakken crude oil, what this stuff is. It's also known as North Dakota Sweet or North Dakota Light, and it's called this because of its low sulfur content, but that also means that it's high in other other types of uh, fuels, essentially, like butane and some of these other highly flammable substances. So unlike diesel fuel, if that was being carried on one of these trucks, uh, this Bakken oil when it's inside these pressurized containers, it is essentially a bomb, like legitimately a massive bomb. It's extremely dangerous, and this stuff is being just carted around all the time. And we're not just talking about a little bit. This train that derailed was carrying 3 million gallons of this stuff on 106 different oil tanks, like oil cars, I guess. I don't know what you'd call them. Containers of oil like the big ones that you've you've probably seen before. They're very similar to the ones that refuel your gas station. Okay, so I've kind of jumped around a lot already in this, buried mm-hmm. so many leads. Good God, I'm sorry, <laughs> y'all. Let's talk more about what exactly happened. So you've got a train coming from the North Dakota oil fields. Ooh, is this a word problem? I was about to say the same thing. I know, it is, kind uh, of. What speed? <laughs> well, What's the velocity? When, it, uh, when okay, no. Here's the crazy thing. The speed limit when it crashed was mm-hmm. 10 miles per hour it was only traveling at seven miles per hour mm-hmm. seems like whoa how in the heck did that happen well here's where the investigation comes in um and in order to tell you about it we have to add to the to the problem to the math problem okay great. um okay <laughs> so imagine you are Running, uh, you're an engineer on a train and you've been running through the night. You're on a 12 hour shift. It is around 830 in the morning. Your shift is about to end and you hear that just uh, a little ways further down the down the rail, 
there's a delay. So you have to stop for a little bit for a while. Okay. You know, you're, you know, you're coming up on time and the union says you can't go over that 12 hours. So mm-hmm. you're going to have to just park that train there for a while. So you have to check, make sure that your 6,500 foot train isn't blocking an intersection somewhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and once you're clear of that, then you can park your train, you can lock it up and you can, you can leave. You can take a, essentially a shuttle back home or however you get, uh, however you get home from there. Just imagine that's you. You did that. All right. Mm-hmm. Now, Noel, you're, you're the next shift guy. You come all in, right. you're the engineer. Uh, you wake up, let's say, and you're like, oh man, I got to get over there. So at 11, 15, you arrive via shuttle and you unlock the train, you get back on and you get ready to take this train uh, to continue along. By the way, this is perfect. Do you guys know how many human beings it takes to operate a massive mile long train like this? I would say two, three. You're correct. Yeah. And (laughs) literally, yes. (laughs) An engineer, a conductor and what they call a brakeman or uh, a brake person. Uh, That is a kind of a weird position that I don't fully understand. In this case, the brake person didn't even get on the train. So one of the three people didn't get on the train. They drove all the way over to the refinery, which was just a couple of miles away, I think six, six or seven miles away to make sure that the path is open for this huge rail car as it's coming through. Um, So there are only two people, two human beings on this train running the whole thing. And as the train departs, You know, the coupling, have you ever seen this as a kid Mm -hmm. or maybe played with a toy train or even been on an actual train and operated it? The coupling between two cars, it's fairly unsophisticated, but there are some very sophisticated mechanisms that are also attached between the the rail cars. Um, Not, it's not just the, the connector, but this connector somehow between the first crew leaving and then Noel showing up somehow one of these big connectors got released. So as the train pulls away, there's a couple of rail cars on the back that are not fully attached anymore. Mm -hmm. So as the train's getting up to speed, the rail cars behind the fully attached train are, are getting momentum and then they detach and then they're still going. So the problem occurs when the rest of the train stops or has to slow down to make this curve and go seven miles per hour. The rest of that train speed is continuing along at 21 miles per hour, slams into the back, causes the whole thing to derail. So the big question here, guys, you've seen train tracks around Atlanta. They're all over here because mm-hmm. of, you know, Terminus. That's what Atlanta mm-hmm. used to be. And it still is in a lot of ways, a, a giant rail terminal. Yeah, you're right. Interesting fact about Atlanta. So many cities of that size uh, historically are located at bodies of water for shipping purposes, and it's just easier to keep a clean city. Uh, But I I would argue that in the case of Atlanta, uh, the rivers or the water in this situation was replaced by rail and then later by air. So they really Mm -hmm. are kind of the the rivers of the city. You can't ship a ton of stuff down the Chattahoochee, you know? I wonder if you could. That'd be a fun thing to try. (laughs) (laughs) Would be a fun thing to try. You know, one popular pastime here in Atlanta is people... People have a couple beers, uh, hop on a tube, and then uh, ship themselves down the river. Yep. That's about as far as as far as it goes on a day to day basis. But it's a four drink minimum for that. Really? Uh, what I'm where I'm going with this is it is ridiculously easy in parts of Atlanta to just access a rail car if it stopped. There's a place where my my family and I get ice cream that is over here where I live and it is immediately on the tracks and you can walk right out to the tracks. And very often there are huge trains of containers with sometimes I, I don't know how volatile the materials all are. I don't know all of the numbers. I know the placards are designed to be identifiable from far away and easily, but the specifics you have to know like a code a lot of times, but, um, you could just walk right up to them. And if I knew what I was doing, I could detach one of those cars or something and cause this very thing to occur where you, where it's like a soft detachment. It's not fully detached, but the air brake system is still connected. And there's, there's enough to actually pull the train along at least for a time. 
before the other systems break it apart. It's just, I think it's just a little scary to me personally, imagining that it's that fragile. Right. Um, and, and while there are a ton of places like the most important part pieces of the infrastructure of the railways are very highly protected, but there's all this open space too, because that's how it functions. You can't, you can't have a giant tube, you know, covering safely covering all of the railways. That's mm-hmm. not possible. Mm-hmm. I guess I just, I don't know. That's why I wanted to talk about this today. It, sabotaging a train feels like something out of a, a Western movie. Oh, 100%. Some, and something that I wouldn't expect to be happening right now. Well, one of the big questions, too, is uh, the motivation. So first, this is not the official conclusion, right? If I understand no. correctly, this is a statement of a rail union official who is definitely yes. an expert, but they are not law enforcement. And I think... Because of the unique position rail occupies in the U.S., there are multiple agencies that have to finish an inquiry before anybody can officially say this is sabotage or this was, this would be worse for the uh, train companies if they had to say this, or this was an error on our part because they don't want to be liable for that. There's a lot at stake. But here's the thing. So this becomes an investigation into possible acts of terrorism, right? Just be, by the nature of, of trains mm-hmm. themselves. But my question to you, Matt, is who would have done this and why? I saw some anecdotal reports about two guys apparently being seen walking away from the train, but I don't think their identities have been released yet. No, they have not. And that was just a person driving by on the road that runs exactly parallel to the tracks there. And it was seen in that window between the first crew leaving and the second crew arriving. So there is a possibility there that these two guys, maybe one of them knew what they were doing. One of the major things that was said, at least in these conclusions or these alleged conclusions by, what did you say? The International Association of Sheet Metal, Air, Rail, that's it, and Transportation that's it. Workers. Yes, the, the like you said, Ben, that, that union statement, um, they're saying that whoever did this, if it was sabotage, and they are saying it probably was, somebody knew at least to an extent what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And they won't release full details on that uh, because, again, they don't want to give people a handbook for how to sabotage a train like this. But the the other thing to note here, Ben, is that in the past, pretty recently, BNSF and other rail companies have noticed that there have been attempts to sabotage trains and sometimes successfully by people putting what they call shunts on the railways uh, to basically confuse the systems on board the trains. So there are people attempting to at least soft sabotage, if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. trains. And the other thing to note is that there may be reason to protest some of some of this material. Like we said, these are high explosives, essentially, that are being... Uh, carted uh, all over the United States. And we're also talking about fracking here. We're talking about shale oil, essentially, Mm -hmm. in a lot of these scenarios that's being shipped. So you can imagine some groups that would want to protest anyone profiting from that process that could be causing irreparable damage to the environment and to any individual or animal that needs to drink the water in those areas. Yeah. And And there was a precedent for this, too. This spot is is nearby where two two folks had been arrested just about a month before or so, and they were accused of attempting a literal terrorist attack on the train tracks to disrupt that pipeline plan. So there's some kind of precedent, and of course, you know we can. Yeah, they that's the shunts convicted. we were talking about. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, uh, I mean it really is occurring, and and other high profile. Recent train derailments have not been about sabotage. They've been more about at least there have been accusations thrown at some of the companies for not maintaining the rail as well as they should. And others, a lot of times pointing blame at the engineer, you know, the operators of the trains. In this case, the train was going at the, you know, under the speed limit when it derailed. The problem is, though, the engineer and operator, when they switched teams, the way we mentioned they did, mm-hmm. they didn't do a brake check. This is a huge thing. The engineer was very early in their career as an engineer. I think it was only a month or a couple of months. Oh, wow. Being an official engineer. And 
they failed to run a brake check before they started up the train and started going down the tracks. And it's an air brake system. It's complicated. We could talk about that more later. But again, that's not stuff they don't want you to know. What they don't want you to know is that no matter what the motivations, even if they're noble in a lot of ways, no matter what the motivations for wanting to disrupt the system in this kind of way, there would be such a disruption to everything if it were to happen frequently or at scale. So I would just say, I don't know, protect those rails. Uh, (laughs) um, There's, there is something you can dig into if you want to. I, I don't know exactly how you would categorize it, but there's a group that is, it's, uh, you can go to railsecurity.org. There's a group of people. I don't know if these are lobbyists. I don't know what exactly this is. It's the Rail Security Alliance. Um, you can see all of these different bills that are being put forward, all this reporting that's happening relating to this group and, you know, what they want. But essentially, they want to just protect the rail systems. Okay. And, you know, no matter where you sit on the political spectrum, I think that's probably a good idea. Yeah, I think everybody can agree they like uh, getting stuff, right? <laughs> and you need to have the you need to have a rail system. There's a lot more that the U.S. could do with its rail system uh, as well. But you know, it always brings me back to the conversation we have about alternative transport in general. Like, if people were better behaved, uh, we could use dirigibles much more often. Uh, And the problem with rail is that it is also vulnerable uh, in very unique ways to bad actors because it's not as if you can suddenly turn left in a train. You can't know something is on the horizon and take an alternate route. You go from point A to point B with no real real chance of... uh, agility, right, (laughs) or maneuvering. So it's easy to predict where a train will be. And that's why, that's part of why so much work goes into keeping them secure. There is not an alternative at this point to ship things uh, the way that we can with trains. You know, that's why there are so many regulatory bodies that are super interested in anything going wrong on a train. That's why the the staff or the employees are unionized. Their jobs are incredibly important to the vitality of the U.S. That's right. That is right. And it's interesting that it's such a legacy, you know, technology. They haven't really figured out how to improve upon, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like all that infrastructure still remains and it's still absolutely kind of the beating heart of moving all of these products around. Obviously there's also ships and shipping containers and, and planes and freight, you know, planes, but rail really is the most efficient one and you can set your watch by it. Right. It's because you're not really subject to the same kinds of traffic uh, issues that you would be, you know, with um, freight, you know, with, Mm. uh, with Teamsters and all. Yeah. And, And there's a huge political push in the United States right now for this, you know, whatever the legislation finalizes as for this infrastructure bill coming through. And uh, I'd I'd be interested to know, I haven't looked at the nuts and bolts of it, but I'm wondering if there is money being spent on the rail system. Um, I don't know. God, I, I, am I just being an old curmudgeon now? Like, watch out for the trains. We've got to protect the trains. All the crude oil. You should watch out for trains though. It's like not for nothing. Once those things get going, uh, they don't <laughs> stop. That's why a brakeman is a job. Seen fried green tomatoes? I mean, heart, heartbreaking. What can happen with those trains? I've, I've been watching Handmaid's Tale. I've, I've been watching this latest season. I know what happens. So, it all happens in slow motion. For some people yeah. don't tie damsels. <laughs> villains aren't as easy to spot anymore because they don't tie damsels in distress to train tracks as much as they used to. Right. They don't have curly mustaches either, which is a shame. But yeah, uh, shout out to, to everybody if you're listening to this while you're operating a train, good on you. Uh, just <laughs> have, be careful. Have some coffee. Stay, <laughs> yes. awake, stay awake. Stay stay on your toes. Uh, this is going to conclude uh, our strange news for the week. But never fear, we will return with more. Uh, and in the meantime, we would love to hear from you, uh, whether you have proof that there is indeed fruit on Mars uh, and New York Times got shut down by Big Space Melon. Whether you have uh, 
lived in El Salvador, or whether you're just a Bitcoin enthusiast, we'd love to hear your take on their new policy, uh, whether or not it could be a conspiracy. And uh, if you are, as Matt said, uh, working in the tra- in the rail industry, or if you were just hopping on some freight, we'd like to hear from you. Uh, we'd especially like to hear about the motivation for any possible sabotage. Uh, we try to make it easy to find us online. That's right. You can find us in the usual internet locations of note. We are on Facebook, uh, where we are Conspiracy Stuff. We're Conspiracy Stuff Show on Twitter. You can also find us on the telephone. Uh, that's a thing people still use. We are one eight three three stdwytk Yes, please leave us your name, or at least the name you'd like for us to refer to you as. We, you know, we can call you anything you want. Doesn't matter. Uh, or you can just be anonymous. It's fine. Once you get started, that time is yours. You've got three minutes. Use it however you wish. We recommend that you say anything you think should be on air at the top, and then anything you want to say to us personally, uh, just say that at the end of your message. Um, And if you've got way too much to say, we ask that you don't call multiple times for the same message. If you've got a lot to say, just please, please, please send us a good old-fashioned email. We are conspiracy at iheartradio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours. And all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony DeLisandra. Billy's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like, da, 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 da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals. It's not about being the best in the world. It's about doing what's best for the world. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.